Very cool. If you've got your Bible, why don't you grab it and open it up? Maddie's going to throw them on the scriptures on the screen as well. We're going to start by reading Deuteronomy chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 2 uh, through to verse 7. And then we're also going to uh, throw up, Maddie, if you could throw up Romans 8, verse 31 and 32 after that. Is that cool? Very, very cool. So Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verses 2 to 7. Is that cool? Uh, let me find it. I've got it here on my written out, so I don't need my Bible. But anyhow, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you're reading from the same one, it'll be easier. Uh, if you're not, you'll have to translate as we go. Cool. It says this. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2 to 7 says, Normally, it takes only 11 days. Everyone say 11 days. Normally, it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai uh, through to Kadesh Barnea, if you don't know where those two places are. Uh, Mount Sinai is where God appeared to uh, the Israelites, the, uh, to, to uh, Moses the first time in the burning bush. It's a significant place in the, in the wilderness. And Kadesh Barnea is, a, is an oasis, uh, so in the desert, it's a space where there's water, and it's very, very close to the promised land. It was the place they launched into the promised land from. It's where they sent the spies. Normally, it takes only uh, 11 days to get from one to the other, and that's walking through the desert. Uh, but check out verse but 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything that the Lord had commanded him to say. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, that's Moses' sermons from this, this, this preparation space where he tells them everything again. Deuteronomy means he... Uh, it's jute is the word in the the, the start, which means two, because uh, that's a Greek word, Deuteronomy, and it means he's telling them the whole thing again, uh, which is is quite good. Deuteronomy is actually easier to read because it's a bit more summarized. Uh, those of you looking for cheats on the Bible, that's a bit more summarized. Uh, and Deuteronomy is a good, a really good read to to read through if you want to read the law of God. And Moses tells them it all again, um, and uh, this took place after he had beaten King Sion of the Amorites who ruled in Heshbon at Edrai, and he'd also defeated King Og, one of the great Bible names, I believe. King Og of Bashan, if you're expecting a child, Og is a possible name. Uh, King Og of Bashan. Sometimes you need to look at a child to really name them, don't you? And if your child comes out and you think, no, Og is probably the right sort of word, choose a different name, uh, it'd be a good idea, okay? King Og of Bashan, who ruled in Ashtaroth. Now, while the Israelites were in the land of Moab, east of the Jordan River, Moses carefully explained the Lord's instructions as followed. He says, When we're at Mount Sinai, the Lord God told us and said to us, and I quote, You have stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites, to all of the neighboring regions, to the Jordan Valley, to the hill country, to the western foothills of the Negev, to the coastal plain. Go to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon and all the way to the great Euphrates River. Time to move into the promised land. He said, this is what God said. I'll rephrase it. It says, you have stayed at this mountain too long. It's time to break camp and move on. Is that cool? Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 32, if we've got that as well. We'll just hunt that one up. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 32. Uh, if you've got your Bible, you can read it. Uh, otherwise, you'll just have to trust that I'm doing good reading. It says, anyway, it says this. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? And if you, if you want to know what those are, Romans chapter 8 is a good read, talking about all the goodness of what God's done. It says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God's on our side, 
then really doesn't matter who's fighting against us. Uh, verse 32 is one of my favorite verses in Romans. It says this, since he, that's God, since God didn't spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all, right? That's the truth of Christianity, isn't it? That's the center of our faith is that a God loved us so much that he gave us his son, that Jesus came and died in our place, right? That's the center of our faith, right? And, he, and, and Paul's making this logical jump. If God was prepared to sacrifice his only son, to sacrifice himself, if God himself was prepared to come in human form and surrender himself to death, right? And, and if the God was prepared to do that, it's, he goes on and says, how much more will he give us everything else? How much more won't He give us everything else? Amen? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank You that You're here. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the the testimony of the children of Israel. We thank You for the writings of Paul. We thank You, God, that Your voice and the sound of Your voice is in all of that story and all of that writing. And Lord, we pray this morning that You'd be our teacher, Holy Spirit, that You'd be here. Lord, that as I'm talking, Lord God, You'd be working. You'd be working in our heart, Lord God, that we'd leave this place prepared to move forward, prepared to break camp, and prepared to move into the promises that You have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Awesome. Well, if you grew up in the same New Zealand that I grew up in, uh, one of the highlights of summer, and it's still a highlight in my life, one of the highlights of summer is a sweet road trip. How many people, that's been part of your life, a summertime road trip, give me a wave, right? It's part of, for me, it's part of summer, right? And the whole idea is that you, th- you, put, uh, uh, you put, first of all, too many people in a car. Uh, you know, when I grew up, Dad had a, uh, his work car was a Ford Telstar. There's not many of those on the road anymore. There's a reason for that. Uh, they were called a Telstar, but it was really a Cortina in disguise. Uh, and uh, we, there was four kids, always four kids across the back seat because that was before seatbelts were mandatory. And even when the seatbelts were mandatory for a while it was it was sort of socially acceptable to put two children in a single seat belt uh, for some time anyway there were always be four children across the back seat and then way too much camping gear right camping gear and uh, you know uh, surfboards and tents and uh, you know the, the barbecue and uh, you know a chili bin and you put a packed lunch in there as well and then you, you head off right uh, along with every other person right so every other person in the world would all and you know I don't know New Zealand was perhaps a bit more organized then. Everyone seemed to travel everywhere on the same day. Uh, and uh, and we'd always, uh, there would always be in a traffic jam. And back in the day, now modern people don't realize this, but modern cars, what modern cars do is they run and run and run, right? They just keep going and going and going, and then they just stop. And then you throw it away, and then you get a new car, right? That's, what, that's how cars work. And that, depending on where you're at financially, that's either a terrible, terrible thing or a really good thing because you got rid of the car you didn't like anyway and you wanted something new. Or it's a terrible thing because you really needed that car, right? But olden days cars weren't like that, right? So, uh, you know, things like Austin Avengers, uh, you know, Falcons. My dad had a, a, a giant Valiant when we lived in Australia. Uh, it just took, t- took me 10 minutes to walk from, from the back of the car to the front of the car. Uh, and, uh, you know, these big old giant cars, they didn't just go and go and go and then stop. They sort of went. They would sort of work forever, right? They would sort of just keep going, you know. And, and everyone's car had, you know, back when I was growing up, everyone's car had a, one door that was really hard to open. Uh, we always had a, our car, we had a Falcon that had these little press button door handles. And, and, and Dad was the only one who could open the doors at one point. Mum couldn't open doors anymore on the car. So Dad would have to go around and open all the doors like a chauffeur. Uh, do you know what I mean? Except the chauffeur wouldn't drive such a terrible old Falcon. But... 
Uh, and, and that's why, and, and, and on a road trip, there'd always be cars. Every hill would have a car pulled off to the side on of it, you know, with a roof rack with about seven or eight tons of equipment on it. And there'd be a, hot, there'd be a car there. And then 27 people who obviously had been in the car all lined up along the road just waiting with the bonnet up and steam. And most people wouldn't travel anywhere without water in the car. You know, that's a thing of the past now. You used to, my car, you used to go, you'd always have spare oil, you know, because you need to put, but roughly, for every liter of petrol you used, you used about half a liter of oil. Uh, my dad used to put banana skins in the sump of some of our cars just to thicken up the oil so they didn't burn so quickly. Um, these are all different tricks that you could use. Uh, I think in a modern car, if you put banana skins in the sump, you'd probably just throw it straight away after that. But, um, but, but, but part of the fun was of the road trip was that every hill you'd overheat, uh, you know what I mean? And you'd have to get out, you'd stop places. There was nowhere to buy food uh, on the way or else there's very little money to buy food. So you'd always stop somewhere nice and have sandwiches and there'd be a thermos of hot tea. Do you know what I mean? And that was all part of this road trip experience. And you always were heading, um, I don't know about you, but we were always heading and the place we always go and the place that we talk about all year is this special place in New Zealand called The Beach. Right, and the beach, uh, you know, it might be this beach or that beach, but it's not about what beach; it's about the beach, because the beach is where we're all headed. That's where our hopes and expectations are. Uh, the beach is more of a metaphysical idea. It's more of a, it's more of a, it's more of a, it's like a memory castle of happy times, right? Of, of fish that were caught, of sunburn days, of you know surfing, and, and the beach is sort of this, this, this state that you get to, right? When we went on holiday, uh, this is no, no joke. We would go on holiday, all loaded up. We'd get somewhere, and we'd have to set up the camper van or the tents, and we'd set up. And then once it was all set up, my dad would sleep for three days, and then he would wake up. Right, and then he was away. Then he was in. So the mum knew that for the first two or three days of the holiday, dad would just sleep. This is on account of having for the for the whole year not taking a moment's break. Right, not a moment to break. He would not. He wouldn't take a lunch break all year. He wouldn't take a tea break all year. He would work uh, twelve hours every day all year. And then on the summer holiday, for three days he would sleep, and then he would be in what he termed holiday mode. Right, which meant that he wore the same T-shirt, shorts, and jandals for for, for a whole three or four weeks. Uh, he didn't wash. He didn't, sometimes he didn't shave. Uh, he yeah, he was in holiday mode, right? And there were two weeks he would be in holiday mode at the beach, and my dad would be fun, and he would be engaged, and it would be awesome, right? And then we'd be back to work, and then he would be in work mode uh, for a whole year. Uh, and I just think there's more to this beach place. And there's more to this whole road trip uh, than meets the eye. There's, you know, perhaps you grew up uh, going to different locations. Perhaps, perhaps holidays was a different space. But in humanity, there's this sort of quest. There's this desire to, to move towards a better place, a better state, a better way of living, a better way of thinking, a place that's more relaxed. Um, you know, it's expressed probably, the, the worst expression of it is probably the whole lotto culture that we have in New Zealand where there's this, there, there's this whole better world you could live in, uh, buy a ticket every week just in case you could get into this whole better world. Like this big Wednesday world where you have a nice car and a nice house, Right. Uh, but the, the reality is that in this quest and this desire to move forward, um, the best beaches I've ever been to, the best holidays I've ever been on, were always at the end of the most epic road trip. 
right? So before they sealed the roads in the Coromandel, we can, I can remember we did one holiday at the very top of the Coromandel, right? It was at least a 12-hour drive, 12 hours of driving plus, you know, stopping Johnsonville, Otaki, uh, you, know, you know, all those stops. And like, you know, uh, and it seemed to take a week and a half to get there in the back of a towel. So you know when you're sitting in a car next to your brother and your arms are touching? You know, and then you don't know if it's your sweat or their sweat, you know, and your arms are touching each other and your legs are t- it's the worst. F- it's, for me, it's one of the worst feelings ever, right? Just like mm, all the way. And, and we used to say, you know, and I, th- I, know, I don't know where this comes from, but uh, it's, it, I hear it out of Lucia's mouth the most often at the moment. We used to say this saying all the time. Uh, maybe you heard it. Are we there? Yeah, well, let's say it together. Almost, almost. It's not quite the right tone. You've got to say it with a bit more nose. You've got to say it with just a little bit. It's almost, it's more than just a question. It's a threat as well, you know. Aren't we there yet? And, uh, you know, on some of our recent road trips, Lucia has started saying that from about Pawatahanui uh, onwards. So we drove all the way to Auckland and uh, I was answering, are we there yet? From from Mana Esplanade uh, through to Auckland. And yeah, it's something pretty awesome when uh, there's that, are we there yet. You know, the, the children of Israel, they make the whole story of, of this exodus and this wandering in the wilderness is an epic road trip. You know, they took, they took, and 11 days is a big trip anyway, isn't it? 11 days with 2 million of your closest friends, right, squashed into a Telstar. That's a big journey, right? 11 days journey, right? And they were able to turn it into with enough stops and toilet breaks and diversions and overheating. They managed to turn it into 40 years of traveling in the wilderness. Now, as bad as you travel, as annoying as your children are, that is the biggest road trip in the history of the world, right? 40 years of traveling in the wilderness. It's it's supposed to take a minute. It took them 40 years. Now, if you think about the story of the children of Israel, for us, it's easy to laugh. It's easy to think, man, what were they thinking? God meets Moses in the desert. God sends Moses back. And then Moses does these miracles, like there's these miracles that happen in Egypt, they're, they're, like they're, they're staggering miracles. Like the, the, the least important one is that Moses throws his staff down, it turns into a snake. Moses, Moses picks up the staff and it snake and it turns back into a stick again. That was the smallest one, right? He does these other ones where it goes dark wherever the Egyptians live and it's light wherever the Israelites live. Imagine that happening, right? What are they going to say on the news on that day? Frogs come and then frogs get sent away. The river turns to blood. Uh, there's thunderstorms. There's pestilence. There's the, the angel of death sweeps across Israel, kills a, a whole lot of people. Right? It's phenomenal, right? They finally escape. They get to the, the, the border of the Red Sea and God says, come on, carry on. Moses stretches out his staff, the parts of the Red Sea, they, a whole nation march through, right? Then the Red Sea collapses on all the enemies and they're set free. Then in the desert, God miraculously provides them bread that comes out of heaven. They just collect it in the morning and they're able to eat it. There's one moment where, they, where they're, th- they're thirsty. It's the desert. They, they need water, right? And Moses, God instructs Moses to, to, to strike a rock and out of the rock comes enough water for two million people, a nation of at least two million people, and it says all of their livestock and their camels, the camels are always mentioned, the donkeys are always mentioned, uh, camels and donkeys, enough water for all the people, enough water for all the animals. I asked a friend of mine, he's a town planner, 
Um, I asked him, how much water is that? And so he calculated how much water would you need for a nation of that size. Uh, and he said it's the same amount of water. The water that came out of that rock is the same amount of water that was current, is the, ba- the basically the average flow of the Clutha River uh, in Southland, which is New Zealand's largest river flow. So when Moses strikes the rock, it wasn't tappity-tap, drip, drip, drip. It was, a, it was boom, right? You were on a time it right. You know, until your mother-in-law's walking past, bam! Uh, you know, she'd be washed to another part of the desert, right? Like it was a massive. Like these are miracles. Like not, there's not like it's not like a miracles. Oh, I was having a bad day and now I feel better. Those are great miracles, right? But these are miracles that should have totally transformed how the Israelites thought. It should have totally transformed how they thought about their future, thought about their plans, right? But it comes to this point, this moment where they, on the very brink of the promised land, 11 days after they left, and on the brink of stepping from the desert into the promises of God, they don't have enough faith. At that point, they run out of faith. At that point, they can't believe, for some reason, they can't believe that the God who was able to save them is also able to lead them into promise. And the reality is it's easy to laugh, (laughs) silly Israelites. But they're not in the Bible for us to laugh at them. They're in the Bible for us to look at ourselves. How often do you think that you forget about the fact that God saved you and the miracle they did in setting you free from sin, of washing your sins away, right? And you forget that He's also able to lead you into His promise and purposes. Do we have enough faith for God to save us, but not enough for God to lead us into purpose and promise? I think that as Christians, we're often stuck in this wilderness space. I think as Christians, we often turn an 11-day journey into 40 years of wandering around, and it's time to break camp and move on. It's time to stop camping where you are and to move forward. And prophetically, even, I want to speak into your world and say, come on, this is a season to break camp and move forward. Christianity is a faith that breaks camp and moves forward. Are you happy, satisfied? Do you love your life right now? The answer is no, because it's a camp. Your life's not supposed to be super comfortable. When you go camping, is it awesome? Yes, it's awesome. Do you want to stay in the campground for the rest of your life? No. You shouldn't want to stay in a campground for the rest of your life. Campgrounds are pretty awesome, but it's, but it's slightly uncomfortable. How many people know that you can sleep on an airbed for so many nights? A brand new airbed is pretty awesome, isn't it? But by, by night three, your airbed will start to go down. Like if you bought it from the warehouse, the warehouse where everyone gets a bargain, your warehouse, your warehouse airbed will be great for two nights and then it will start to go down, right? And, and how many people know, getting up at two in the morning every single night to reinflate your airbed, that could get old really, really quickly, right? I think a lot of Christians get bored, dissatisfied, and angry at life because they're living in a place they should be camping in and they sh- they're looking, they're, they've got promised land expectations, but they're not moving into the promised land. They're just dwelling in the wilderness. They're wandering around and around and around and they're wondering why it's dusty, it's boring, and dis- disinteresting. And it's actually time to break camp and move into the promise, to change gears from God saved me to now I am extending the kingdom of God and seeing His promises revealed. Amen? So if we're going to move forward, and I think you've got to move forward, if we're going to move into the promise, and I'm, I'm telling you this morning that you're destined to be the sort of person who changes the world. That's who God's made you to be. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're, you haven't been saved just to wander around. You've been saved. God's called you out of darkness and into His glorious light that you would declare His praises to principalities and powers. This is what the book of Peter teaches us. Right, you've, got to, you've got to move from being saved into now I am extending the kingdom and the intentions and the purposes of God in the world. 
That you've got to make that transition. And the, the faith you get, it comes from the faith. Hey, God saved me. He saved me for a reason. He saved me for a purpose. Amen. If we've got to do that, this I think we've got to break camp. And the first thing we've got to do is we've got to break camp fear. Everyone say camp fear. I think if I ran a if I ran a summer holiday camp for kids, I'd call it Camp Fear. Uh, I think it'd be quite cool, wouldn't it? Like a whole fear theme, right? And you'd do dangerous things and confront fears, uh, and you would frighten children. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Send your kids to Camp Fear. But you know, fear is an interesting concept, and some people struggle with uh, perhaps uh, extreme fears that that really limit their life. They're scared of this or they're scared of that. I know some, some people struggle with they have fears of people or they have a, a, a fear of spiders or things like that. And, and we can sometimes think when the Bible, when, uh, when, when I'm saying today we've got to break camp fear, uh, sometimes you can think, well, I'm not a particularly fearful person. But the, the, the nature of fear is such that fear affects every single person. In fact, the boundaries of your experience are defined by your fears. So you might say, well, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really have any fears, Pastor Jordan. And I'll, the, answer, the reason you don't feel any fear is because you always live within your boundaries of comfort. You don't have any fear because you never step beyond the place you feel perfectly comfortable, right? I'm not fearful standing here, but I am fearful standing here. And you think, well, I'm not controlled by fear because you live your life here. You live your life far away from the edges of risk or danger or challenge. So you're not fearful. Of course you're not fearful, but you're still controlled by fear. Fear has pushed you into a space where you don't say certain things to certain people. When you go to work and they say, how was your weekend? You don't say, well, on Sunday morning, I went to church and Pastor Jordan he possibly spoke the greatest message ever spoken. You don't say that, even though it's true every Sunday, right? You don't say that because you know that to say that would be to stand here in the relationship with your workmate. So you talk about what you did on Saturday because it's, that's called standing here. On Halloween, uh, we've always complained about Halloween, silly festival, stupid festival, Ready, ra? You know, it's all about dead people. Ready, ra? Next, I'm going. I'm going hard out on Halloween next year. Hard out. I'm going to decorate my house. I want every trick or treater in the neighborhood coming to my house. I'm going to get the barbecue. I get a barbecue in the front yard. Everyone's going to get free sausages, lollies, because I want everyone to come there. And I'm going to give them a flyer that talks to them about not the celebration of death, but the celebration of life in Jesus Christ. Right? Because I can talk about Halloween from here, or I can say, No, I'm going to get into Halloween and I'm going to bring a Christian message to every kid in my neighborhood. Because if every kid in my neighborhood is going to come and visit my house, they're going to go away thinking, Man, that guy Jordan's the coolest person in the world. Why? Because I gave them so many lollies. And they're going to give them so many lies. I think I might read this little thing you gave me. Right? Because we can either live our life back here, or oh, rah, 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 the world, this, the world, that, or we can say, no, come on, how can we take some risks? How can we live on the edge? How can we break camp fear and move forward into the promised land? How are you supposed to be living? Are you living like it? Are you living like you? Because what fear does for me, fear makes me quiet. Fear makes me conservative. Fear makes me hold back. But really, I'm the sort of person who should be loud. Uh, that's actually who I'm called to be. I should have the biggest Halloween party on our whole street because I'm the biggest person on the whole street. I'm probably the loudest person in the whole of Karori. It's not a particularly loud suburb, I admit. 
You know, but come on, in our, how are we living? Are we living back in a way that's comfortable or are we living at the edge? Are we living in our, outside of our comfort zone? Are we living in a space we're learning? You know, um, the, the, the zones, that there, there, there's a comfort zone where you experience no fear. Outside of that where there's fear is what's called the learning zone. If you're not feeling slightly stretched and slightly frightened and under a bit of pressure, you're not learning anything. And I want to suggest if you're not learning anything, in what way are you moving forward? Are you learning something about God's provision? Well, how do you learn about God's provision? Do you know how the best way to learn about God's provision is give? Go on a mission trip where you need to save $4,000 to get to Indian Pat. You could learn about God's provision there, couldn't you? Yeah? You, that's how you can learn about God. But you don't learn about God's provision if you lock up your budget and you keep it as tight as possible, right? I'm not saying be irresponsible, but I'm saying, come on, stretch outside of comfort and live in the learning zone. How do you learn about evangelism? You know, I love Rachel's testimony from Christmas Eve. She invited seven people to the Christmas Eve service, and seven people said no. Well, what's she doing? She's on the edge. She's learning more. She's learning seven times more about evangelism than you are. If you didn't invite anyone, she's seven times more frightening. Probably to her workmates who she's inviting. She's slightly frightening. But come on, how do we learn? How are we going to reach our city? We've got to stretch outside of our comfort zone and see God move. Amen? We've got to break camp fear. Now, the Israelites simply were too terrified. They couldn't believe that a God who destroyed the Egyptian enemy could also destroy the Canaanite enemy. It's the same God. It's the same region of the world. But for some reason, they ran out of faith at just the wrong point. Uh, if God doesn't come through for you this week, what will you lose? If the answer is nothing, then you've got, you've got no bets on. If God comes through for you this, this week, what will you win? Well, if you can't lose anything, you can't win anything. You're not, you're not, if, if God doesn't come through for you, if you don't need God to come through for you, you need to change the way your life is organized. You really do. You really need to change the way your life is organized. If, God, if you don't have prayers that you need God to answer, then in what way are you pushing out and extending the kingdom? That's a challenging question, Jordan. Uh, back off, back it off, because people are looking at me dagger eyes. So number one, we've got to break camp fear. Everyone say break camp fear. Number two, we've got to break camp nostalgia. That's another camp we could go to, camp nostalgia, where they only play music from the 1980s. Uh, everyone, uh, they, they, uh, Christian music from the 1980s. Uh, we wave flags in the service. Uh, it would be awesome. Camp nostalgia could be awesome. You know, and across the summer, we took our kids bike riding through our old suburb, uh, Mungary Bridge in Auckland. It was awesome seeing the kids being nostalgic. Uh, you know, driving past their old school and Elliot talking about how the whole school was shrunk. The whole school's shrunk. Uh, you know, the, the difference between a five-year-old and, and an 11-year-old's perspective on the same buildings was, was awesome. And nostalgia is nice, isn't it? Isn't it? Nostalgia is nice, but um, but nostalgia is like um, nostalgia is it, it, it can be a place where we get stuck, um, you know, because it's not like the good old days, you know. Well, it's not like the good old days, but you know, it, it's not because it's a new day, uh, and sometimes we're looking for this illogical thing, which is a new day that's the same as the good old days. Oh, well, God, we, God, God wants to do a new thing, right? Yes, God, do a new thing. And then, what, then we're like, but why can't we sing the old songs? Well, it's a new day. If it's a new day, do you know what it can't be? It can't be the same as an old day. 
If it's the same as an old day, do you know what it's not? It's not a new day. And the Israelites were stuck in nostalgia because the promised land wasn't the same as Egypt. They wanted the promised land to be same as Egypt. Think about the logic. They wanted the promised land of God, the freedom of God, the prosperity of God, the power of God released, the kingdom of God manifest. They wanted that to be the same as slavery. How can it be the same? They wanted it to be the same as the wilderness, but how can it be the same? As a Christian, you've got to be dissatisfied enough with now to embrace the new things that God's doing. The new thing that God's got for your life, your life when you're extending the kingdom, where you're extending God's plan, where you're seeing the power of God released through your life, it will not look the same as your life looks like now, and it will not look like the old days. Because how can the freedom, the power, the prosperity of God look the same as the wilderness? It can't look the same. Your life's got to look different. And if you're locked in nostalgia, and nostalgia mixed with regret is a powerful mixture, right? If you're locked in nostalgia, you will never generate enough faith for the new because you're too attached to the now. If we're too attached to the now, we'll never embrace the new. What would, it, what would our church look like? Uh, we've got goals that are in Equippers. We want, we want 10,000 people gathering every Sunday. And at the moment, there's 8,000 people that gather every Sunday to worship God across equipment. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But 10,000, do you know why we want 10,000? Because it's a cool number. Isn't it a cool number? 10,000, that's a cool number, isn't it? But if, if we're going to have, if, if we're, if we, imagine if we filled this room, not just the downstairs. Imagine if we, if we moved our curtains from there. Although I love those curtains. And we had to seat people in the seats under there. Imagine if we had to raise up enough money to, make the upstairs safe. <laughs> I don't know how much money that would be, but uh, put, put the re, reason state the chairs at the back. Imagine if, you know, I think this building is legally allowed to see 850 people. Imagine if 850 people were at church on Sunday morning, right? Do you know what a lot of people would say? Well, that's not like the old days. If there's 850 people, the nice bits of the morning tea are not going to last long. Already the nice bits disappear before I get there sometimes. Right? But come on, it's not going to be. If, if, if we're going to move forward, if God's given us this space, hey, why, why don't we fill it with brand new people following Jesus? Wouldn't, we, wouldn't that be awesome? Right? But we've got, if we're too attached to the now, we'll never be able to generate faith for what God is doing in the future. Right? We need to break camp nostalgia. Everyone say break camp nostalgia. Oh, I, personally, I think it's the biggest challenge of faith. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, you can't put new wine into an old wineskin. The whole of church history is all about trying to put new wine into old wineskins. Oh, we want to embrace this new thing of God, but we can't fit it in. I reckon the the classic story would be um, the Anglican church. God did a, a powerful work through the Wesley brothers. This is wildly simplified, but it's for the sake of time. And also because I don't really understand the nuance. But the Wesley brothers do this awesome thing, but it doesn't really fit in the Anglican mold. So in the end, there's a new church called the Methodist Church, right? Right? And, and it's cool. It's a good new thing. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. But there was conflict and struggle, and the new thing of God didn't fit into the old structure, right? So this new structure emerges, the Methodist Church, right? And so the Methodist Church has got this structure. They've got this plan. They've got this way of doing things. It's got the, the people that they like, right? And then this um, awesome Methodist evangelist comes through, and his name is William Booth. And William Booth's a Methodist, and he starts getting lots and lots of people uh, responding to Jesus from a different 
part of society than the Methodists were used to dealing with. Lots of inebriates and people off the street and all sorts of disadvantaged people. And he was bringing them to church. And why? The new, now the Methodists don't like this new thing. The only reason the Salvation Army exists as a denomination was never William Booth's plan. It was just that lots of these people were getting saved. They needed somewhere to, to, to attend services on a Sunday where they could be discipled and learn how to follow Jesus. And the Methodists couldn't embrace them. So again, we got another bigger conflict and another church arises. Why? Because the new thing of God is always going to break the old structure. It's always going to mess it up. And we've got to understand that, hey, what we want to see happen is we want to see our structures challenged. We want to see our way of doing things challenged. We want to see our thinking challenged. And we've got to break camp nostalgia in order to receive it. Amen? Very good. Point number three, you're doing very well. We're nearly finished. Is that all right? Point number three is we've got to break camp complacency. So we've got to break camp fear, we've got to break camp nostalgia, and we've got to break camp complacency. Do you know, the, um, maybe, maybe you're not nostalgic, but one of the, challenge, one of the challenges in life is that right, if you're on a long journey, the, the, the thing about a long road trip is there's always great rest areas. And you could just camp there. You know, you, well, you could just, you could actually have a holiday in a rest area. And, and I, I think a lot of, a lot of you know, uh, metaphorically, a lot of our life we're, we're holidaying in the rest areas rather than pushing through to the actual destination. Uh, I was jogging, uh, uh, a couple of years ago we did this long run from, from, Kaitoki through to Otaki Forks over the mountains. It's a beautiful run. I recommend you do it. You can walk it in a, a couple of days or you can run it in a day. It's awesome fun. But we'd been running for about nine hours. So I was the least fit of the people there. And uh, I was the oldest of the group. And we're running and, uh, and we're running along. And we're running along. And we've only got a few kilometers to go. Because we're coming down, you can actually see the destination. And at the nine-hour mark, I'd eaten in my backpack. I had these little pouches here that I had filled with food, and I'd eaten all the food that was in those pouches. Actually, a few times, and refilled it. And I was, I was jogging in this hill, and I completely ran out of uh, uh, energy, like blood sugar. I was just like, just like clomping from foot to foot. Uh, and I had food in my backpack, like a lot of food in my backpack. Uh, and um, and I was jogging along, and I was like, uh, I couldn't be bothered. I didn't have like I couldn't think. I couldn't have enough energy to like take off my backpack. It was like clip, clip, take it off, open it up, get the food. And so I said to the other guys, just leave me here. <laughs> and I was talking to Bonner and Luke, and I said, just leave me here. I'll catch you up, right, which is code for I'll die here. Uh, and uh, and uh, so I was like, they're like, have you got any food? my backpack. And I'm not coordinated the best of time, but it was ugly at this point. And... Um, but for some, for some reason, we get complacent. We think, well, I'll just stay here. You know, you can just stay where you are for another year. Right? You could just stay where you are for another year. And, you know, when the Israelites were going through the wilderness, for 40 years they would camp, and they would break camp and move on. And then they'd camp, and they'd break camp and move on. And they'd camp, and they'd break camp and move on. And, you know, every time they broke camp, the Bible says every time they broke camp, some people just stayed there. This is in the desert. They just stayed there, and then the Israelite camp moved on, but they just said, I'll just stay here. Maybe they got particularly attached to the palm trees there, or there was a, a sand hill that was really nice, so they just stayed there. 
Now, there is, there, here's the question, though. If you're in the desert, and wherever the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud is, that's where the mana falls down, and that's where the water comes out of the rock. If you don't move, if you don't move when the cloud moves, it's going to be a, yes, it's a nice spot, but you're going to live there short term. Right? Once there's no food anymore, you live there short term. And the, the, the message for us as Christians is, come on, the provision of God, the, the Word of God, the, the, the manner of God's Word, the manner of God's presence, the water of the Spirit is not staying in the same place. It's moving towards our promise. And we think, I'll just stay here because it's easier. It's not. It's actually harder to stay where you are. You need to keep moving forward. Well, I, I've got food in my back. I can't be rather get in my backpack. You know, it's funny because I, I started explaining to the boys that I'll just meet them at the car park. And Luke Kirkpatrick, he just had um, a little mini moro bar because he, he's got two kids whose birthdays are close together. They had a big birthday and he managed to scoop a lot of the little, little uh, moro bars uh, into his backpack in time for our jogging. And he happened to have one too. He just said, eat this. So I ate the little Moro bar, and 30 seconds later, I was jogging again, feeling fine. I was able to think coherently. I was able to take my backpack off and get some of the 6,000 calories that I still had in my backpack. And here's the reality. Every single Sunday, you come to church, and we just say, eat this little Moro bar. And you can, a lot of people come to church on Sunday, or they don't come to church on Sunday. <laughs> They've got food in their backpack. But they can't be bothered opening it up to read it, right? You've got to come to church. They could, you could sing the songs at home, right? You could, you could listen to Planet Shakers at home. But most of the songs, we're, we're, half of what you hear out of the speakers, sorry, trade secret, half of what you hear out of the speakers is just recorded music anyway. Dun, 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 dun. Right? You could listen to music at home. You could read the Bible at home. But we don't, do we? Because we're like... So you go, you, that's why you've got to be in an e-group. You go to your e-group and your e-group leader goes, well, I've got these Mars bars from a birthday party I was at. Eat this. Just eat this. Come on, just keep moving forward. Just take a little bit of food. Take a little bit of energy. Allow God to speak to you. Come on, move forward. We've got to break camp complacency that says, actually, it'd be nicer to stay here. I want to tell you, it's not nicer to stay where you are. You can't stay where you are. We can't just keep doing things the way we've always done things. We can't keep just believing the way we've always done. We've got to push forward. Do you know, God will bring challenge to you if you don't go looking for it. He will. God will bring the challenges to you if you don't go looking for challenges. If you're not moving forward, God will, 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 God will move you forward. God will, if you're not pushing forward for faith, God, I want to believe for more. God will put you in a position where you have to rely on him in faith. Because that's where he can bless you. That's where his grace is extended to you is when you're in a position of faith. The Bible teaches it really clear. You cannot please God with our faith. Right? It's our faith that pleases God. That's what connects us to him. Come on, where are you? Where are you at? Come on. One of the things I love about being part of Equipers, we've got so many friends now. We've been here a while. But I'm always challenged by business people, lawyers, accountants, mums and dads, different people who have got faith for their life, faith to see God move in their neighborhood. Like, I'm, I love it. I'm always challenged by it. You know, but come on, where are you at? Yeah, this morning, I'm, I'm wanting to challenge people this morning. I really am. I'm saying I believe it's a word from God for us that it's time to break camp and move forward. What have you camped around? What ideas have you camped around? What routines maybe need to change? What, what are you believing for in 2016? It's time to move forward and believe for something different. Do you know, a good question is, are we there yet? 
I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. This is Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Are we there yet? No, we're not. This is an epic road trip to see the kingdom of God fully established, to see God's people fully mature in Christ in the, in the image of Christ. It's an epic road trip. But let's not turn 11 days into 40 years. You know, some of you have been wondering, you've, some of you have turned 11 days into 12 days or 13 days. Let's not make it 40 years. Let's allow a God who is able to save us, let's have faith that He can also lead us into His promise. Isaiah 43 verse 19, this is my verse for 2016. It says, For I am about to do something new. This is a see, I've already begun. God's already begun to do this new thing that He's doing. He's already begun it. Don't you see it? And then I like this. He says, he will make a pathway through the wilderness and he'll create rivers in a dry wasteland. I love it because there's a promise. God's doing something new. There's, the, there's the, the, the assurance. He's already begun it. He's already at work. He's already on his way. And then there's the challenge. God makes a pathway through the wilderness. Where do we need to head? We need to head, as Pastor Byron would say, into the wild. We need to head into the challenges that God's got for us. Amen. Let's pray. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads.